I think this message may, the emphasis may have changed slightly in the last 10 minutes or so, I'm not sure. Um, but we'll see where we go. Um, but as Paul said, I've ended up with Nehemiah 5 and 6, two chapters this morning. Now, one thing that has been leveled at me in the past is that I speak too quickly, but I think you'll be grateful of that this morning as I try and get through two uh, chapters. So really, the headline, I think that I've just heard really just now, is, um, is about building the kingdom. We've just heard these words about building the kingdom, about the church being built up, about it not failing, that the, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, that Christ will build his church. And we in Nehemiah have been looking at this wall that's been being built, uh, not just by Nehemiah, but by the Jewish people, but by the, the church of, of that time, if you like. And they were building. And I think that we can draw parallels between what we've seen so far and what we're going to see, uh, parallels between Nehemiah and building the wall and and us as a church, individually and corporately, building the kingdom. And what that means. I think we are charged with building the kingdom. And all the while, there are people going to hell. But we need to build the kingdom. Building the kingdom means bringing more stones into the wall. It brings new souls into the kingdom. It means helping to go out and get the lost. And I think we need to be mindful of that as we, as we read this message or we hear this message this morning. So another parallel we can draw between our lives, I said, is this wall building that Nehemiah has done and the kingdom building that we are charged with doing of going into the world and making disciples, of going to save the lost in partnership with the Holy Spirit. And we also see in these passages, we see uh, Sambalat, Tobiah, and Goshem and other names that we will hear that are clearly enemies of Nehemiah. And we face an enemy, an enemy and his name is Satan. And, and he will do whatever he can to stop us from building the kingdom. He will do whatever it takes to stop us from saving the lost. He will do whatever it takes to interrupt us from doing what God has charged us and called us to do. And we're going to look at three things, three um, ways that he, he does this. We see this in the passages in three ways that will hopefully or may well resonate with us this morning as we think about how we go about building the wall, building the kingdom, and do what God has called us to do. So Nehemiah 5, that's where we're going to start. But there's three, three things I want us to look at. That is division, distraction, and deceit. There are three Ds here that, that we see in this passage, and when, uh, or these two passages, and we'll unpick these as we go. So in Nehemiah 5, there are, there are four main sections here, and I'm not going to dwell on these as long as I was going to this morning. But four things here that we need to look at in Nehemiah 5. What is happening? What is wrong? What must be done to put it right? And how to do the right thing? So Nehemiah 5, I'm not going to read the whole passage because we will be here till, till gone lunchtime, but I'll read it as, as we go. So I'm just going to start at the beginning here, Nehemiah 5, verse 1. Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. Some were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards and our homes to get grain during the famine. Still others were saying we have had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. Although we are of the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. Now when we see at the end of Chapter 4, we see that things are going well. Despite the opposition, despite the enemy's schemes to try and stop this wall from being built, it is being built. That the gaps have been joined. Apart from the, the gates 
uh, that are still missing in the wall, the, the, the wall is, is full. It is kind of completed. It's not perhaps at the height it needs to be, but the gaps have been filled. Things are going well. We've got people holding spears and at the same time holding tools, and they're, they're just getting this wall done. They're focusing on their job. They're getting the wall done, and things are going well. But then we see this group of people, this group of, of the builders, part of the team, are saying, we can't carry on. We can't do this. They're, they're threatening to go on strike. We're just not going to do this anymore. We can't do this anymore. We can't even feed ourselves. There's famine about. Times are hard. They've, they've come out of exile. Yes, they've kind of come home to Jerusalem. They're building this war. Things are going well. But now there's a famine. And there's this constant threat around us. But they're saying they're being treated unfairly. There's this poor treatment of the poor. And it is causing division among the people. They're saying that we are Jews. And yet we are still having to put our children into slavery to feed ourselves amongst our own fellow people. This cannot be right. So that's what's happening. That's the backdrop here is that things were going really well, but now we're in this moment of, of strike and disunity, and this is just not fair. Uh, and Nehemiah hears their cries. So, so what is really wrong? That's just scratching the surface. What is really wrong here? Well, let's carry on in verse 6. When I heard that, this is Nehemiah, when I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles and officials. I told them, you are charging your own people interest. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them and said, as far as possible, we have brought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you are selling your own people, only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. So I continued, what are you doing? What you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? I and my brothers and my men are also lending people money and grain. But let us stop charging interest. Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves and houses, and also the interest you are charging them, 1% of the money, grain, new wine and olive oil. I just want to go back to to one part. I love Nehemiah, this, this example of leadership and how to deal with trouble and strife. We go back to this phrase in verse 7, I pondered them in my mind. He thought about what was wrong, what these people were saying, and he pondered them in his mind. He didn't react immediately. He said he was angry, but he didn't react. He didn't lash out. He pondered them in his mind. When I was in the Navy, we had a phrase, and probably many of you use it too, but we had, we had a phrase, you say, have a word with yourself. If somebody got a little bit effusive, a little bit dynamic, a little bit gobby, may I say, they got a little bit ahead of themselves or a little bit rude, we would say to them, go and have a word with yourself. Go and have a word with yourself. Go in a quiet corner and have a chat to yourself and just think about the way that you're being. It's very easy to respond out of emotion. But now I'm out, it says, I pondered them in my mind. I took a moment to collect my thoughts and think about how I'm going to deal with this. And then he does. See, it's never been okay to take advantage of the poor, particularly our own brothers and sisters in Christ. And the Jewish law was, was set up for this. It was set up that the poor would not be marginalized. It was set up that they wouldn't suffer unnecessarily. What we were seeing here was the complete opposite of what they called the gleaning laws. If you look in um, Leviticus, if you have trouble sleeping, look in Leviticus 19 and 23, Deuteronomy 24, and it talks of the gleaning laws where... Uh, they told the farmers, this agricultural kind of world that they were living in, not to harvest right up to the edge of the field. So if you imagine a farm today, you've, where we live, you see the common harvesters out, and they're out reaping the harvest. But what they said back in those times was, don't go right to the edge. 
Just go up, turn the corner, come back, turn the corner. Don't go right to the edge and leave the edges because the edges were for the, were for the poor. They were for the orphans, they were for the widows and the foreigner. So take what's yours, but don't take absolutely everything. Don't squeeze the life out of it and leave it for these poor people. That's what they were called to do. Even in the, in the year of Jubilee, in that, that seventh year, in that, in that fallow year, when the ground was not used, even then, that year was whatever grows out of this land, leave that for the orphan, the widow, and the foreigner. God was very keen, is very keen, to look after the poor. But it gets worse. So even at first sight, Nehemiah can see, you know what, this is not the way we do things. It's just not the way we do things, and this isn't right. You think about what we've just read. This is what it says in Leviticus 25. If any of your fellow Israelites become poor and unable to support themselves among you, help them as you would a foreigner and stranger, so they can continue to live among you. Do not take interest or any profit from them, but fear your God so that they may continue to live among you. You must not lend money at interest or sell them food at a profit. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. If any of your fellow Israelites become poor and sell themselves to you, do not make them work as slaves. They are to be treated as hired workers or temporary residents among you. They are to work for you until the year of Jubilee, when they will be released once more. You see, the wealthy here were being squeezed by the taxes from the king. They were being squeezed by the famine. They were also being squeezed, but this was all relative. But see, rather than turn to God, rather than rely on God for their needs, rather than rely on God as their provider, they decided to prey on their fellow Jews. They relied on their own solution. <laughs> and this led to their attitude and behavior being something that was abhorrent. Their attitude to a fellow Jews was poor. And it was in direct contravention to the law that had been set up to protect these very people. So Nehemiah is saying, you know what? There's a law here that says what you're doing is wrong. In fact, what I've just read there in Leviticus 25, you'd be, you could believe they'd actually taken that and think we're going to do the exact opposite. They're completely done the opposite of what God's law had told them they needed to do and how they needed to treat the poor. But Nehemiah has another issue. He says, what's worse? What is worse? He says, shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of your Gentile enemies? That word reproach, I thought I knew what it meant, but I had to look it up. To express disappointment in or displeasure with a person for conduct that is blameworthy or in need of amendment. In other words, what Nehemiah is saying is what on earth must everyone around us, these enemies that look upon us that are trying to stop us building this wall, what on earth must they be thinking when we sell our own people into slavery, when we're making money off one another, when we are robbing each other blind? What on earth must they be thinking? Excuse me, I've got a bit of a cold this morning. What on earth must they be thinking? What does it look like? How are we honoring God in this? So not only have we disobeyed the law, but you've kind of brought our whole people into reproach. You've kind of brought us all into a place where the world is looking on thinking, what on earth are they doing? And you think about the church today. Do you really think the world needs an invitation to bash the church? Or they're ready to do it at any moment? How are we treating one another? How are we behaving towards one another? Are we giving the world a reason to look on and think, wow, Look at the way they treat one another. Look how differently they behave to the world. Or are we being just the same? Psalm 133, 133, just the first and last verse. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. And the last verse says, For the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. 
See, the Jews at that point were missing the point. They were missing the point that if they treated each other well, if they loved each other well, if they trusted in God, then they would be blessed. But they weren't trusting in God. They were trusting in their own schemes, in their own money-making schemes. They were trusting in, in lording it over one another. So what was really wrong? They weren't trusting and they weren't obeying. They weren't obeying the law. They weren't obeying God's instructions and they weren't trusting him either. The two big problems here were disobedience and the witness to the rest of the world, the witness to the people around them. So what could be done, what needed to be done to put it right? Well, we go on and read in verse 12. What happens next? We will give it back, they said. These nobles and officials that have been challenged, we will give it back, they said. And we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. Then I summoned the priests and made the nobles and officials take an oath to do what they had promised. I also shook out the folds of my robe and said, in this way, may God shake out their house and possessions, anyone who does not keep this promise. So may such a person be shaken out and emptied. At this, the whole assembly said, amen, and praised the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. So what needed to be done to put it right? There was division among the people. They were not treating each other well. In fact, they were treating each other very badly. So what needed to be done? We've kind of seen it in communion this morning. They've gone back to the word. They've gone back to God and looked at what they needed to do. Now, what was required? Well, we know they went quiet. <laughs> you know when you tell a child off and, or a teenager off and you expect some back chat, but you tell them off and they don't say anything back, you think, hmm, <laughs> they've got it. They understand, I've got them banged to rights. They've got nothing to say. And this was the same with these nobles and officials. When Nehemiah challenged them, they had nothing to say. He had them banged to rights. So what was required of them? Well, they needed humility. They needed to say, yeah, I've got this wrong. You know, maybe I could have done this better. It needed confession. Yes, I have done something wrong. What we are doing is wrong, and this needs to change. It needed forgiveness. They were going to have to forgive one another. If they were going to be able to move on, if they were going to carry on with this war, they were going to have to forgive one another. It needed obedience. It needed obedience to the law. It needed obedience to what God had said to them about the way they were to treat one another. It also needed compassion for them to be able to move on. This is a two-way street. They needed compassion for one another. The poorer Jews needed compassion for the richer Jews that, you know, I know you've got this wrong and I know you, you're admitting you've got it wrong and, and you're going to put this right. So I'm going to have compassion towards you. And similarly, the rich needed compassion towards the poor to realize, you know what, we need to change what we're doing. And also needed repentance. We see this in their words. So they say, we will give it back. There's the confession, you know, or obedience. We will give it back, this money. And we will not demand anything more from them. So they're not going to do it anymore. There's repentance as well. We are going to change our behavior. We're not going to do this anymore. This is what is required to put the situation right. Humility, confession, forgiveness, obedience, compassion, repentance. Six words there and how we treat one another and how we look on one another. That's what they needed to do to put it right. And then this doing the right thing. This is Nehemiah. As always we see, seems to always be doing the right thing. And how could he do that? Well, I'll read this quickly. This is the rest of chapter 5. Moreover, from the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when I was appointed to be the governor in the land of Judah, until his 32nd year, 12 years, 
in case you couldn't do the maths, I guess. <laughs> Neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. But the earlier governors, those preceding, me, those preceding me, placed a heavy burden on the people and took 40 shekels of silver from them in addition to food and wine. Their assistants also lorded it over the people. But out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. Instead, I devoted myself to the work on this wall. All my men were assembled there for the work. We did not acquire any land. Furthermore, 150 Jews and officials ate at my table, as well as those who came to us from surrounding nations. So foreign dignitaries, visiting nobles, they came in at my table too. Each day, one ox, six choice sheep, and some poultry were prepared for me. And, even, and every 10 days, an abundant supply of wine of all kinds. In spite of all this, I never demanded the food allotted to the governor because the demands were heavy on these people. Remember we with favor, my God, for all I have done for these people. Nehemiah was saying, I've not done any of this. You know, I'm entitled to the governor's portion. I'm entitled to a governor's tax. I'm entitled for the people to pay for me, to pay for my food, to pay for my hospitality, to pay for the things that I need to, but I didn't take it. I could see that they were squeezed enough. I could see that these people were poor and they were struggling, so I didn't take what was due to me, and neither did my men. My men didn't do it. Like previous governors, their, their people lauded it all over everyone, made life difficult for them, but I didn't do that, and neither did my men. You see, it could be easy to ask, who is Nehemiah to judge these people? Who does he think he is? Calling out these people, calling the shots, telling them what they should and shouldn't do. Aren't we told not to judge? Didn't Jesus tell us not to judge, that we shouldn't judge one another? But the truth is here, he was lending money and food, but he wasn't lending it at an interest. You know, if you need a shekel, if you need a sheaf of wheat, then have it. But that's just what you need to give back to me. He was entitled, but he didn't take it. He was entitled, but he didn't behave like it. Nehemiah had no plank in his eye. He could see the speck in other people's eye, and he had to tell them about it. But he came from a place where there was no plank. He was doing the right thing. He was behaving in the right way, and he was righteous. He didn't stand by and watch like some of the nobles. We read earlier that the nobles didn't want to build a wall. So not only were they lording it over these poor people, they didn't want to roll their sleeves up and help them build the wall. But Nehemiah talked the talk and he walked the walk. He told people what to do, but he also showed them what to do. He was not afraid of rolling up his sleeves. He was not afraid of getting involved and he treated people well. Nehemiah could do this from a place of righteousness. His authority, the reason they had nothing to say, was he was in a place of righteousness. He was already doing the right thing. He was already living the right way and treating people the right way. This is why Nehemiah had so much authority. He had courage and he wasn't afraid to challenge the status quo. Previous governors did it like this. Their assistants did it like this. It's always been like that. Why do we need to change? He had the courage to change it. He had the courage to face up to opposition, or in this case, he didn't have any. As we come to the end of Nehemiah 5, I just want to say to you, there's no mention, really, of the wall. This wall that needs building, this wall around Jerusalem that needs to be built up, there's no mention of it. Why is that? Because of the division amongst the people. Now, I titled this message just this morning, Focus on the Wall. We need to focus on the wall. We need to focus on the kingdom. We need to focus on kingdom building. We need to focus on saving the lost. But just here, like Nehemiah, there is division. And division becomes a huge stumbling block. 
Division stops them from building the wall. Division stops people, stops churches, stops groups, stops individuals from building the kingdom when they're divided. When they were working as a team, everything worked perfectly well. When they were divided, they were distracted and the wall stopped being built. So let's focus on the wall. So going into Nehemiah 6, our second D is distraction. We now start to see distraction. So I've heard Pastor David say several times to me and others, you go to a new level, there's a new devil. When you surpass one thing, when you get past the division, Nehemiah healed the division. He put things right. So they got over the division. Would you think that the enemy stopped there? Have any of you ever been challenged by the, by the enemy? Have ever you been through a trial to get through it and think, well, that's it. I've done my trial for life. There isn't going to be another one. The trials come thick and fast. They come again and again and again. This is what the enemy does. So he's tried division. That didn't work. The people with Nehemiah, they've overcome that. They've overcome that. But now comes distraction because the enemy won't give up trying to stop us from building the wall and building the kingdom. So not content, the enemy. This is Sambalat, Tobiah, and, and Geshem. Not content with questioning their motives, we've seen in chapter 2 ridiculing them, mocking them, being sarcastic in in chapter 4, and then verbal threats of physical violence. We see that in in chapter 4 as well. All these things aimed at stopping the progress of the war, stop this building of the war for us building the kingdom. So a new form of attack has now been employed by the enemy. We couldn't, division didn't work. So what are we going to do next? We're going to do distraction. New schemes have been employed. We see here that there were meetings that Nehemiah was called to. There were four of them. That any of you, whether it's church or business, know that meetings are a great distraction. They are a great distraction. Everybody loves a cancelled meeting. But Nehemiah has been called to four meetings here, and he's been invited to go to a place called Oh No. You couldn't write it, could you? You couldn't write it. He's been invited to a place called Oh No. If that didn't give him a clue, I don't know what really would. But Nehemiah was aware of the motive to do him harm. He just knew something was off. So he wouldn't entertain these meetings. Now, why did he know it was off? Why did he know they were going to harm him? Yes, there have been threats of violence. But perhaps they were coming with a peace flag. Perhaps they were coming to say, you know what? Maybe we could patch things up. But Nehemiah just knew. I just sort of point out, how did he know? How did he know that this was a threat? Because if you read through the previous chapters of Nehemiah, whenever, any, whenever there was a threat, whenever anything was going wrong, the first thing he did was pray. The first thing he did was go back to God. One thing you say about Nehemiah was that he was close to God. He listened to God, he heard God's voice, and he prayed to God. This is how he was aware. That's how we're aware that the enemy is about. Is when we're close to God and we hear God's voice, we recognize the enemy is at work. So he was aware that the enemy was at work here and trying to call him to trouble. But also, <laughs> he said, I'm not coming. Because it would interrupt the building of the wall. This was distraction. Nehemiah was saying, I'm going to focus on the war. I've got a war to build. I'm not coming to your meetings. I'm not interested in what you've got to say. So when the enemy tries to distract you, when the enemy tries to tell you things, tries to drag you away from your main focus, tries to drag you away from building the war, tries to drag you away from inviting that person to offer, tries to drag you away from evangelizing, tries to put fear in your heart when you're about to say your testimony to somebody, tell him you're not interested in what he's got to say. I'm going to stay focused on building the war. I've been called to build this wall, and that's what I'm going to do. So you can call me away. You can whisper in my ear. You can tell me what you want to say. You can even try and distract me, try and, try and promise me things. But I am not 
going to be distracted. How aware are we that the enemy continually means to do us harm? To stop us from building the war, to stop us from building the kingdom. Or perhaps we are divided. Or perhaps we are a little distracted. The enemy has been at this for a very long time. I said the other Sunday evening, you know, from the Garden of Eden to the wilderness with the Israelites, to Jesus in the wilderness, to us every day, the enemy is constantly trying to do anything he can to stop us from building the wall, to stop us from building the kingdom. The one thing that truly matters. So the fifth invitation comes to Nehemiah. This time it comes with a letter full of lies, falsehood, and fake news. This is what it says in uh, in Nehemiah 6, verses 6 and 7. It is reported among the nations. And Geshem says it is true. It must be true then, eh? If Geshem says so. That you and the Jews are plotting to revolt. And therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king. And I've even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king. So come, let us meet together. This was full of lies and falsehoods. But how did Nehemiah respond? How would you respond? How do you respond if someone accuses you of things that you haven't done? Tells lies about you. Is really quite nasty about you. How do you respond? I know, I know how I feel like responding at times. I know I have responded in the past and it's not been pretty, as my wife will testify to. It's not great. I don't react well all the time. But how does Nehemiah react to this? He's just been told, you know what, you want to be king. You're pretending that you want to be king or that you're not, but you are. You want to be king. And the reason you're building this war is to keep people out. There's going to be a revolt. You want to be the king in Judah. He could have gone absolutely nuts, Nehemiah, but he didn't. There was a calm rebuttal of the truth. He says this, I sent him this reply. (laughs) So simple. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You're just making it up in your head. Simple as that. It's just not true. What he's saying is not true. And you know what? I'm not going to give the energy and the time. I'm not going to be distracted by these lies from building the wall. I'm not going to listen to your lies. I'm not going to listen to you telling me who you think I am, what I'm going to do, what I'm not going to do. I'm not interested. I'm focusing on the war. I've got to get on with this war. So it's just a bottle of truth. He's full of grace. There's no threat in his voice, no anger. And it's followed by discernment. Again, we see discernment. He knows what's going on. What does he say? He says, they were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But what does he do? <laughs> the good old Nehemiah, I prayed. I strengthened my hands. I can see what the enemy is trying to do. They're trying to distract me. They're even trying to harm me. But I'm not going to fall into their schemes. I'm not going to allow them to have their day. I'm not going to allow their enemies to have it. Paul says, the apostle Paul says, that we need to keep our eyes on the prize. Keep our eyes on the wall. Keep our eyes on the kingdom. Keep our eyes on each other. Keep our eyes on Christ. Keep our eyes on the main thing. Don't be distracted. Don't let the enemy divide us. Don't let the enemy distract us. But keep our eyes on the wall. Focus on the wall. Keep on keeping on. So what Nehemiah did. He kept pressing on. Nothing is going to stop me building this wall. Nothing is going to stop me building this kingdom. Nothing is going to stop me working for God. Nothing's going to stop me working for Christ. Nothing is going to stop me trying to reach souls for the lost. Can you say that this morning? 
Keep on keeping on, working hard in what God has called us to do. Are you going to quit because of the schemes of the enemy? Nehemiah didn't. We feel like it, don't we? We feel like quitting. A lot of the time, Nehemiah would not quit. He kept focused on the wall. Nehemiah knew how to deal with him, and he just wouldn't quit. So we've had division. We've had distraction. And so we move on to deception. This is about the enemy within. We read that Nehemiah gets called to the house of Shemaiah. He calls Nehemiah to his home. He says that he's been locked up in his home, but calls him to his home, and he warns him of threats to kill him. I think Nehemiah must be thinking, tell me something I don't know. Everybody's trying to kill me. Everybody's threatening me with violence. I've been attacked on every side. Tell me something I don't know. But this Shemaiah says, people are coming to kill you. I know what you should do. You need to go and run to the temple. I'll come with you. I'll come with you. We'll go and hide in the temple. But this was deceit. Nehemiah was a governor, maybe. He was the guy in charge. He was the top of the tree. But he couldn't go into the temple. The temple courts, maybe. But he could not go into the temple because he was not a priest. This would have been a grave sin. This would have brought him much shame and discredit to both him and the works of the wall. So here we see deceit. Someone's trying to trip Nehemiah up. Nehemiah again realizes that this was a ruse. And this prophet, Shemaiah, was actually in league with the enemy. He was actually being paid by Sambalat, Tobiah, and Gamesh being paid to convince Nehemiah to do this. It would have been so easy for Nehemiah to fall into this trap. And what is Nehemiah's response? Again, there's nothing we read off towards Shemaiah. There's no, there's no direct response to Shemaiah, even though Nehemiah knows what is happening. But again, Nehemiah, Nehemiah even, turns to God in prayer, and he asks for justice. What he says is, is to Shemaiah, should a man like me run away? Should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I will not be distracted from this war. I am not leaving my post. I am not stopping doing what God has called me to do. Now it goes on to say, he had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this, and they would give me a bad name and to discredit me. And it goes on to talk about these, these other prophets that were also trying to intimidate Nehemiah. But what I love again about Nehemiah is he sees this. He sees what is happening. It would have been quite an easy thing. If someone said to me, you know, there's some people come to kill you. All we need to do is go into the, into the church and you'll be safe. Sounds like a good plan to me, if I'm being honest. But Nehemiah knew what they were doing. Why, how did he know? His discernment, his closeness to God. His continual conversation and prayer with God. He knew what was going on. He could discern around him what was going on. I wonder how many of us could say we are so close to God that we can discern everything that happens around us. And that we always are aware for the schemes of the enemy. So we've already seen how easily and readily the enemy of our souls will turn us against one another to stop the building. To keep us distracted from the main thing. You know, like this, what I would say is test everything you hear from this pulpit, from any prophet that you may listen to, from any preacher you may watch on YouTube, test it. Test everything against the word and the will of God. Test everything that you hear. Be careful what you listen to and who you place your faith in because we can easily be distracted. We can easily be deceived. So I want to really talk, as I come into land now, I want to talk about the, the schemes of the enemy. We've seen here in this story a man determined to do what God has called him to do. He's been charged with 
rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. We have been charged with enlarging the kingdom. We have been charged with building the kingdom. We see Nehemiah not giving up. At every turn, whether it's been threatened with violence, whether we see here the people become divided, whether it gets distracted, or whether he gets deceived, he's determined he will not give up trying to build the wall. Now, are you committed this morning to not giving up building the kingdom? You see, it's not enough that we come into church every Sunday and build up one another. That is a wonderful thing, and we are called to do it, and it's the right thing to do. But between Monday to Saturday, are you and I, are we committed to building the kingdom? Or are we going to be sidetracked by division, sidetracked by deception, sidetracked by distraction? Or are we going to really focus on what we've been called to do and what is important? Now, the strategy of the enemy to take us away from this is all these Ds. I thought as I was writing this last night, as I was watching Matt's of the Day, it sounds just like a theme tune to Matt's of the Day, all these D, 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 D. There's so many Ds here. This is what the devil does. Doubt. He casts doubt on your ability, on who you are. Denial. Deny the word. Don't believe it. Don't believe the word. We saw that. The Jews completely denied the word of God. They went completely against it. He will try and get you to deny what is true. He will defame you. He will try and shame you. He will try and get you to run into the temple. He will try and get you to commit sin. He will try and discredit you. He will divide. He will cause division amongst us. He will try and destroy any good works that have been done. Anything that's been built up, he will try and destroy it. And he will try and distract. He will do anything he can to take us away from our primary purpose of loving God, loving one another, and building the kingdom of God. So what were Nehemiah's strategies against all this? You know, I was thinking, as I was writing this, I couldn't help but think of the film Dodgeball. I don't know if any of you have seen it. I really enjoy that film. It probably tells you a lot about my spirituality. But I really enjoy that movie. But the coach in it tells them, you know, if you want to dodge these balls, if you want to dodge these things that the enemy is throwing at you, you need to dodge, duck, dip, dive, and dodge. You need to have a strategy. You need to be ready. You can't just carry on through life hoping that nothing's going to go wrong. Because things are going to fire your way. The enemy is going to fire darts at you. He's going to try and divide you. He's going to try and distract you. He's going to try and deceive you. And we need to be ready. So what did Nehemiah do? What was his strategy? It wasn't dodge, duck, dip, dive and dodge. But what he did have is discernment. Because he was close to God. He was aware. He knew when the enemy was active. He knew when the enemy was out to get him. He had dedication. He would not give up. He was hell-bent, pardon the phrase, but he was hell-bent on getting this wall built because he knew it's the thing that really, really mattered. And he was dedicated to God. He had delight. He delighted in the Lord. He went to the Lord every time that there was a problem. Even when he challenged the nobles and the officials, even when they had been chastised, even when they had to repent, even when they had to put things right, they praised the Lord. They delighted in the Lord. They stayed close to him once more. Nehemiah had another D. He had devotion. He was devoted to God. Devoted to the cause, devoted to God, and he was devoted to the people. He had devotion. I ran out of D's, but he had the word. He had the word to go to. He went to the word of God. This is how we could show to the people night and day, this is what you're doing wrong. Look, it says here, this is what we're supposed to do, and we're not doing it. So get into the word of God. It tells us how we should behave, how we should treat one another, and how much we should be loving God. And the last one, there's no D for this, but prayer. 
Nehemiah was constantly in prayer. No matter what was thrown at him, no matter what he faced, he always went to God in prayer. They want to kill me. Lord, (laughs) what do I do about this? They're trying to distract me. Lord, what do I do about this? You know, they're trying to kill me. Lord, would you strengthen me? You know, would you give me peace? Lord, would you... Would you give me discernment? What is going on here? He was in communication with God. Now, when you're talking to somebody, you're full on talking to somebody all the time. It's very easy. Well, sorry, it's not so easy to be distracted. If you're having this one-on-one conversation with somebody, it happens in church all the time, doesn't it? You're having a conversation with somebody, and you see somebody coming in. They're coming in about 4 o'clock, and you think they're going to talk. But I said, no, I need to keep this conversation going. This is a person I'm talking to. I'm keeping my eyes locked on. And this is what it's like with God. Don't be distracted. Keep your, your walk with God alive. Keep your communication with God current. Keep it going. Keep it up. Keep talking to God. Be alive in him. Be in prayer with him. Talk to him. Because we need to focus on the war. We need to focus on the kingdom. Now, I've gone far too long. But I just want to say this. These are the things that we need to take away that Nehemiah, Nehemiah did. This is what made Nehemiah successful. Not because he was a master builder, not because he was a particularly brilliant man. It's because he relied on God. Prayer as a first response, not as a last resort. Jeff said this last week. <laughs> oh, well, I suppose I better pray. No. Nehemiah, every time something went wrong, I'm going to pray. Pray as a first response, not a last resort. He stayed close to God. He had discernment in the schemes of the enemy. Have courage to do the right thing. Have courage in God to do the right thing. Stay focused on the prize. What is the prize? The prize is people's souls. The the, the prize is seeing this church full. Not so we can say our church is full because we've got another, what, probably 70, 80 people that are now loving God, that are now in the kingdom. That's why we exist, is to love God and love others and bring them into the kingdom. Let's not be distracted. Don't give up. 52 days they built this wall. They said it could never be done. 52 days and the wall was built. And what did they say about it? The wall was finished to the glory of God. And the people around were, were astonished. Only God could have built this wall. Could they say that about our church? Could they say that about the church? Could they be astonished at the way we behave towards one another? The way we conduct ourselves? The way that we pursue the kingdom of God? We are called to be kingdom builders. And the kingdom is not finished. We cannot just sit back every Sunday and wait for it to happen. Don't be divided, distracted, or deceived. And don't give up. Just going to leave you some questions this morning. We've dealt with this kind of at communion. I'll ask the, the band to come back up because I'm going I'm to pray for us shortly. Three questions. Are you divided? Have you got people issues? I hope not this morning. We've had communion and we've, we should have dealt with that. The things that are on your heart. If you've got anger towards somebody, unforgiveness towards somebody, ire towards somebody, put it right. Put it right. Confess it to God. So are you divided? Are you distracted? Are you not really focused on God? Do you spend more time on Netflix than you do in your Bible? I'm not saying don't watch Netflix. Don't watch it. I'm not saying don't do it. But are you more watching Netflix? Are you more watching the TV? Are you more doing other things than you are with God? Are you distracted? Are you deceived? Are you believing the lies, the lies of the enemy? Are you feeling shamed this morning? Are you feeling guilty this morning? Are you feeling unworthy this morning? Are you feeling like you don't matter this morning? Are you feeling like you just can't do this? Because the enemy's telling you just how rubbish you are. Who are you listening to? 
What lies are you listening to? Don't be deceived. Do not be deceived. The Lord your God loves you. We heard Paul that say this morning, he loves you. He died for you. Listen to the truth. Nehemiah knew the truth. When he was challenged, he knew the truth. And he responded with truth. When the enemy comes at you with lies, if you're feeling rough this morning, if you're feeling you don't even want to be here this morning, know the truth. Know the truth that God loves you and he died to set you free. Just going to say this morning, it's time to get back in the game because as I said, people are going to hell. It's time to get back in the game, to not be divided, to not be distracted and not be deceived. Let's get back focused on that war, focused on building the kingdom. The enemy doesn't stop and neither should we. But don't be disheartened because we serve a God that has won the war. There are many battles to face and we need to battle them. We need to fight them with him, but he has won the war. So despite the enemy's activity, despite his schemes, be heartened that Jesus is the victor. He has won the war. He conquered death on that cross. And we need to remind ourselves of that. But it's not just for us. It's for so many other people. So let's get back to building the kingdom. Father God, I thank you for your word. And Lord, we want to confess where maybe we have been divided. We want to confess where we have been distracted so easily. We want to confess where we have been deceived because we've not been close enough to you. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would pour out your spirit upon us. Lord, I pray that as we have have heard and sung this morning, Lord, that you would wipe us clean again, Lord, that you would lead us into a place where we are treating one another well where there is no division amongst us. Lord, I pray that we would see it is just so important not to be divided because the building stops. Lord, I pray that you would show us not to be distracted, to keep you the main thing because the building doesn't stop. Lord, I pray that you would show us that we needn't be deceived, that your truth is out there. Your truth is in us and your truth is here for us to read and immerse ourselves in. Lord, I pray that we would know the truth. Lord, I pray, Lord, for those of us this morning that have been convicted that maybe we've given up on building. We've given up on the kingdom. We've given up on you. We've given up on listening to you. Lord, I pray that you would draw us back this morning. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be drawn to you. They would be open to you. Lord, that you would fill us with courage, that you would fill us with your spirit. You would fill us with love for one another. You would fill us with perseverance to carry on building your kingdom. And Lord, you would fill us with a desire and a love for you to keep us close, that we would not be deceived by the schemes of the enemy. So Lord, fill us with fight, fill us with love, and fill us with your wisdom, that we might combat the schemes of the enemy, and we can carry on building your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.